So Patty, uh, today I uh, am trying to recreate a conversation that I had with Dustin Magazine over the two of us had a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I didn't, you know, we've been good friends for a while and I didn't actually realize how aligned we were in terms of the way we actually ran our business. So um, neither one of us have outside investors. Neither one of us has outside capital. Uh, we both have grown over a longer period of time mm-hmm, through organic mm-hmm. growth, through our own cash flow. Um, and we have some similar opinions about uh, a lot of the agents and, and how they can grow. So I would say today is one of the more practical episodes that we've ever done. I um, agree. Yeah. You know, especially if you're, if you're an Asian ISO looking to kind of scale up, you know. And Dustin's story is great because he started out in this business like so many, pe- you know, um, successful people have in this business. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, it's just, and he's very focused. What I really appreciate about this conversation, and I love kind of sitting back and watching the two of you, kind of, you know, banter. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what I really loved about it was that, you know, it's not only is it focused, but it's focused on helping agents grow and that only through that can his company grow. And I think that's a really important message. So then then, I kind of, I kind of continue that questions from the field. I just kind of made some additional points about the idea of focus and really challenge you with like kind of a one or two minute, I don't know how long it was, but very short to just say, you know, what are you focused on and talk about some questions you should be asking yourself as a result of the conversation. Um, And then Patty talked to us about uh, some additional data here and kind of, well, I I focus on interchange and the cost of of interchange and some, you know, some talking points as this debate um, heats up in 2023 about credit card interchange and routing. You know, I want people to be equipped with good information. So I provide some of that. Fantastic. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Dustin and I actually had this super interesting conversation, the two of us, probably, I don't know, a week or so ago. And uh, it was such an interesting conversation. I asked him if we could kind of recreate it for the podcast. We were talking about kind of this alternate path to growing a profitable portfolio, whether that's an ISO, whether that's an agent, it's kind of some of the challenges uh, around that. And um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. But before we dive into it, Dustin, I thought it would help to kind of frame the conversation to give people the short version of just like your journey. I know you've been on the podcast several times, but maybe more from the perspective of like, you know, the timeline of building your ISO, you know, what's your, what's your journey been like? Yeah. Happy to touch on it. So probably like most of the listeners, um, I started the same as, as most people um, in this industry. I think similar to, to you, James, I started out in the field, knocking on doors, working with business owners, trying to figure out who I knew and making lists of all my friends and family members and, you know, who they were, you know, some way tangentially connected to at businesses um, and building my own portfolio, right? Just like so many here. Um, you know, I had one huge advantage at the time, which was that I was a college student, meaning I had relatively no expenses. And that allowed me to, you know, continue to take the money I was making and invest it back into the business as opposed to needing to pay bills, which was a huge advantage for me at the time. Sure. And I continued to scale from there. I started bringing friends in, people that were interested in what I was doing, because people could start to tell early on I was making money, um, right? I wasn't failing. um, And I was spending a lot of time doing this thing called credit card processing that no one knew anything about. So people were gravitating towards it. I was talking about it with everyone and anyone and, you know, kind of built up a small team. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, And I didn't have any big aspirations or big goals at the time of creating this big company. Um, it was really meant to be a way to pay for college, help some friends and, you know, maybe get into something else after. Um, but I graduated college with a, you know, really strong portfolio, 
Um, and instead of going to law school, like I intend thought to myself, wait, I'm doing better at this than I probably would as a lawyer. So doubled down from there, that was about 2015. And, you know, really from there, really kind of started building our organizational side of it, bringing in agents, putting systems together to really provide more value to our sales partners. And, you know, here we are now all these years later with a, you know, pretty large organization, hundreds of agents and, uh, continuing to grow every day. And that's really not that many years ago, Justin. I mean, you've done really well for, <laughs> for seven years out of the gate. So, yeah. So I I tell people all the time there are really two phases to uh, to pay bright. There's the during college phase and the after college phase. Right. Um, so 2012 to you know mid to late 2015 is the during college phase, and then of course you know late 2015 early 2016 is the post college side. So you know yeah. that's really where we started to you know build what it is today. Is around now, what- 2016. One thing that you mentioned, Dustin, that I, I just want to touch on for a second, um, you talked about your ability because you didn't have all the bills to be able to reinvest, you know, profits back into the business in order to grow. Um, you know, talk about that for just a minute, how important that is throughout the journey, because I think this is where I think a lot of the individual agents especially will struggle because they say, well, I'm making, you know, um, 15, 20, $30,000 a month in, you know, in, in residual and they talk to me and say, I really want to grow. And my first statement is, okay, so are you willing to go from 30,000 a month to 10? And they yeah. kind of go, whoa, wait, what are you talking you know, talk, <laughs> talk about that a little bit about the importance of, of reinvesting if that's kind of your path that you're wanting to really grow it. Yeah. So look, we've already the expression, it takes money to make money. Um, I believe in that concept in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I think it's an area where a lot of people are shocked sometimes in this industry. And, and we could think about that just from a specific merchant scenario. And James, you and I had a conversation on this a few months ago where, you know, if a merchant's going to make me $3,000 a month, but I have to spend $6,000 to earn that client and earn that merchant because of the cost of hardware or whatever, that's a great investment, right? right. Where can I take my money? I can't do that in the stock market and get that sort of return. But we all come across people in this industry who are afraid of that concept all the time. What if I lose my money or whatever? It's the same thing with building an organization. You know, you have to figure out what that value proposition is. And oftentimes that value proposition has a cost associated with it. The question is, is the ROI there? Um, And hopefully the answer is yes. So, you know, I continue to take that cash flow, turn it back in to more money. Every time I was turning around, I was thinking to myself, I just made it, I just signed an account. It made me an extra $300 a month. How do I get this 300 now and not pay it towards a bill of mine? I don't want to go and get a new right. car with it. I want to take that $300 a month and get another account that's going to make me 500 a month, right? So turn that 300 a month into 500 a month. Then I'm going to take the money from that and go pay out another something at a new account and earn more money from it. So I was constantly paying out a POS cost, changeover costs with existing POS, contracts, whatever I could to earn that business, referral fees, sign up bonuses to merchants, literally whatever I could to build, build my portfolio. If it had a good ROI, I was all for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I know, you know, in, in the Facebook groups that, you know, are out there, you see comments all the time. That's like these agents are offering merchants sign up bonuses or free equipment. I'm like, that's smart. If the ROI is there, I don't know why so many people hate on it. Right. I mean, it's, it's all a numbers game in my mind. And it was yep. then too. So the biggest yep. advantage I had was I didn't need to make money at the time. Yeah. I could go three years and make a hundred dollars a month and feel rich. Right. And that was, that was a, you know, a huge advantage for me personally. But no, you know, Dustin, as you were saying that I was thinking about, uh, you know, in my own experience, uh, we had, I think 12 full-time W2 salary employees. I think our payroll was maybe 60,000 a month before I went out and bought a new car. 
uh, and had a $600 car payment or whatever, you know what I mean? And leased it through the company because before that, my wife and I throughout the years have always been like, okay, whatever we're making, let's dump that back in and let's add value to it. And I think, I think that's kind of one of those core things you have to do. And I, but, but I think it's a good, a good spot to transition because you don't have to do that. That's if you're trying to go on this path that you want to build a big company. So talk about this why, you know, what was your objective? What was it that drove you to say, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice that throughout the years and willing to put cash back in because I want to build something bigger. And kind of how did that change throughout your journey of, of what you were like mapping to? So everyone else, everyone has a different why, right? What's motivating them, what's driving them. Mine is a little bit different these days than it was years ago. But I think, you know, a lot of people understand this when they when they kind of get to a certain point at a at a certain level, right? You start to kind of have a good enough portfolio. It's residual based income. And you have a lot of people that kind of fall on one or one side or the other of the coin, which is they kind of slow down and they maybe kind of quasi retire or they're still active, but not really. Doing other things they care about. They're sitting on the beach, drinking margaritas, collecting the residual check, traveling. We've, We've seen it. There are tons of agents that live that lifestyle after they're in the business for three, five, six years. Nothing wrong with that. It's what we sell those agents to get them in the industry all the time. But then there are the other agents who get to a point and they start to make money. They're making 20, 30, 40,000 a month. And they're like, what's next? Right. right. And they're not ready to, to kind of settle down. And so for them, I think the answer is either one, keep doing what you're doing and just continue to grow the same way you are, or maybe faster because you have more cash to invest, but the same thing you're kind of doing. Or two, which is where I felt, you know, kind of fell was, you know, incrementally adding merchants just wasn't what was doing it for me anymore. You know, I was making a fair amount of money at the time and, you know, increasing it by five or $10,000 a month year over year, or even 20 or $30,000 a month year over year just wasn't what drove me. So I kind of took a step back and said, how do I help more people do what I did? How do I help really benefit other people and change, you know, kind of where they are in their lives? And so that was the big pivot for me as it went from being about how do I kind of help myself? How do I build my own portfolio? How do I increase my own personal income? To how do I help replicate this for other people? And so we kind of changed our program a little bit at that, that time. Again, this was really when I got out of school around 2016. And, you know, that that's, you know, really what it was. So I think it just, yeah. fall, it just you know, kind of depends on what your motivation is. Um, is it your own checking account, how much you're making? Because sometimes when you start building a team, you start building an ISO, that starts to go down. Not only are you investing, but what you're investing in has a slower growth rate. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're making, let's just say, 20% on your first agent, well, if that agent's signing five deals a month, it's the equivalent of you signing one, right? Well, most agents that are successful sign more than one deal a month. So how much they're making actually decreases. You have to have five of those people just to replicate what you were doing. Right. right. And so a lot of people miss that. And so, you know, for me, it was about helping people, really helping them change where they're at and helping them be more successful in this industry. Yeah, I, why. I like what you're saying. I know Patty has a follow-up, but before we get to that, it's like one of the things I want to point out is, you know, one of the themes I think is really interesting here is kind of this idea of uh, maybe sacrifice is the wrong word, but it's kind of this idea of trade-off maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think both the things you just said have that, right? So for the first one is from a financial perspective, right? Are you willing to, you know, not have this massive positive cash flow every month? Are you willing to give up some of that because you are going to hire your first, you know, staff person to help you out or your first tech support person, or you're going to, you know, bring on some agents? And are you willing to sacrifice some of your time? And, you know, you could be on the beach sipping the margarita or you could be helping these seven agents that all seem like they have no idea what on earth they're doing. And you're trying to get four of them to just get off the couch. Right. And so it's like, 
you know, you have to have this passion to say, I want to see somebody's life changed for me. Like I, I get such a kick Dustin now out of like every week I get four or five, six emails from individual agents. I've been watching yep. your videos. You changed my life. I'm making $30,000 a month. That's why. So I love that. Right. So that's what drives me to make the Amazing. next video. Right. But it's, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's about that. I think so. Sorry, Patty. I kind of hear you. No, no, that's quite but, all right. Because I really like what you say. And it's really kind of a segue to my question because it's all, all about priorities. Right. I mean, that's what you're, what you're talking about is setting your priorities. So, so let's clarify, if you don't mind, you know, some of the various paths to growth um, in this business, maybe give, give your thoughts on, you know, for example, let's say I'm a new agent building a portfolio. You know, what should I be doing to accelerate growth and profitability? And maybe, you know, some tips on how to do this in a way that um, positions the agent um, to do something bigger, you know, down the road. You know, instead yeah. of just be, you know, knocking on doors, right? Or, or picking up the phone. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in staying focused, whatever that goal is, stay focused. And so, you know, I think first, when I talk to a lot of agents that, you know, are newer to Paybright, what I find more often than I than I care to admit sometimes is that early on, they're not focused. They're trying to sign yeah. sub-agents. They're trying to come up with every and any angle they're trying to figure out a way to get into, you know, McDonald's or Walmart while also trying to cold call, you know, every business on the corner. Right. And there's just no like specific strategy for them. Um, and strategy doesn't need to be complicated. It can be, I'm going to go out and cold call four hours every day and I'm going to hit 30 doors this day. Like that, that's a fine strategy and it works for so many agents. It worked for me. It could be, I'm going to go and talk to every CPA in my local area, every single one. And I'm going to become the person that CPAs go to for merchant services. It could be, I'm going to hire a telemarketer. It could be, I'm going to figure out this thing called digital marketing, social media, and I'm going to be the best at it in the industry. Like there, there's a ton of paths, but I think most agents are trying to do all of it sometimes. And right. it's unfocused. Mm -hmm. They spend a hundred dollars a month trying to hire somebody to do their social media. It's not going to get anything. They hire somebody as a telemarketer that they don't manage. And so they just send them money and they think they're going to get leads. It's not going to work very well. They go and talk to one CPA and wonder why they didn't get referrals because they talked to them one time on the phone for 20 minutes. Um, and it's not being focused. And so I always try to you know, dial it down and say, look, there are a ton of strategies and all of them can work, but let's pick one to really be the best at. And I have agents that tackle all sorts of different things. You know, people that I would say are the, you know, kings and queens of networking and others that are just great at cold calling and, and there's no right or wrong there. Mm -hmm. But I think being focused is super important. Yeah, and of yeah. course, as that happens, you evolve, right? You go from maybe signing smaller merchants to focusing on larger merchants, mm -hmm. focusing on enterprise level merchants. You go and start focusing, you know, on how to get your existing portfolio that didn't exist a year ago, how you get those 50 or 100 accounts now to become your referral source, right? Now they're sending you to businesses. Or you start focusing on how to build your organization, bringing in agents, the recruiting effort of it, the training element, right? There's a recruiting and training element, obviously, that's hugely important. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, the challenges are, you know, that just there's no focus, there's no concentrated approach. And so for me, I've always been very focused. When I first started, I focused on me, it was signing my own personal accounts. Um, I'm a believer that, you know, people in this industry shouldn't focus on bringing agents in until they can take care of themselves. If I can't afford to put food on my table, how am I responsible for putting food on someone else's table? Course, I always yeah. joke around. It's like on an airplane, you know, they always say, if there's an emergency, put your own mask on first. 
it's kind of the same idea. You need to be able to take care of your own, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, world first. And that's when you can pivot. But so many people are trying to do so many things all at once that I think that is is often a challenge. So stay focused. That would be my biggest recommendation. Have a game plan. That's really great advice. It's really great advice. Let's let and, and you kind of my next question, you kind of touched on in your answer there, but I'd really like to, you know, dive a little bit deeper into, you know, what are the considerations um that uh, an agent or an ISO um should, you know, should should contemplate um before they go down the path of hiring or recruiting, you know, building a team of their own. And 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 probably even more importantly, I think that you your story speaks to this. How do you decide if even you should do that? So I think if you make that fundamental decision that this is the path I'm going to go on, which is maybe a little bit of an emotional decision at times, Mm -hmm. um, then the question becomes, can I afford not to invest in these areas, right? right? For me, I think a lot of people in our industry would agree with this. I wish that I hired my first employee sooner. Um, because, oh, you know, every every dollar I put in there mm-hmm. helps me indirectly generate more dollars, sure. whether that's freeing up my time to help an agent close a multi-million dollar opportunity or it allows me to focus on our, you know, strategy, whatever it is, it frees up my time to focus on, you know, hopefully more, you know, valuable endeavors. And so, you know, I look at it from the angle of can I afford not to that, you know, employee is going to cost you some money, but what do you get back? If you're an agent and you're hiring an assistant, I see this all the time. I see how their productivity skyrockets. You know, now they have somebody that's doing their installations. They're doing a lot of their customer service. And so if you work eight hour days and right now you're you're a good agent, you're making money, you're spending five of those hours servicing your existing portfolio and three hours dedicated to building your portfolio. Well, maybe you can flip that with an assistant. Maybe you're spending six hours building your portfolio and two hours servicing your current portfolio. What can you build in those extra hours? Right, sure. Probably more than the cost of, of the labor there. So I always look at it from the angle of, can I afford not to? Um, okay. And usually when the goals are aligned, the answer is you can't afford not to. You you are at a point where you really should bring on help and, and you know, the right, you know, employees can help you get to that next level. Yeah. Let me, you know, let me, let me say one other thing about this, Dustin. I'd love to get your thoughts on one thing I'm really passionate about as I, as I work with agents, um, there's a huge difference, at least in my mind, I'm curious to get your thoughts. In my mind, there's a huge difference between saying, I want to build a small, dedicated team of employees that are going to support me as I continue to sell, like you just mentioned, but I'm going to sell more efficiently, right? Mm-hmm. Versus I want to build a big team of salespeople who are going to allow me to not have to sell anymore. Mm-hmm. Talk yeah, about that. that. Uh, we've talked about this numerous times. Yeah, I know, but I want to hear Dustin's deal. take on this. So I, I think there's there's a big difference. But, but, but to clarify, I think for a lot of agents, they don't understand the difference between these two. It's like, oh, I'm building a team. It's like, well, no, no, no. There's a big difference. Talk, talk about that, Dustin. What are your opinions on this? Really different. Um, so from the way I see it and the way Paybright sees it, um, when you're hiring employees to accelerate your own growth, they work for you. Um, they're there to help you be more successful. When you start building a team, recruiting, training, and everything. I think from my perspective, the opposite. We work for them now, right? My goal is to help this person be more successful. That's a really important distinction there. You know, I think there are companies in our industry, we all, you know, have seen that are processors, they have agents, 
And after a while, you start to see their, their true colors are, they see their agents as numbers and they work for the processor, right? But I think when you're really trying to build a team, you need to think from that other angle, which is we're here to help you be successful because without our agents, we're nothing, right? right. If our agents tomorrow stop selling for us, we, we have a problem, right? right? So there is a very big difference just in the kind of lens in that relationship difference. When you hire employees to help you succeed, they're working for you to help you reach a certain goal. When you start building a team, you have to build an organization to accelerate their growth, right? Why is that agent going to be more successful with processor A as opposed to processor B? And if you don't have a true value proposition as to why you are providing them with more value, there's a problem, um, at least from my angle, right? That's the question I ask every day. It's what I've spent a lot of time here in December it's when we do a lot of our strategy kind of discussions. A lot of my time on is what are we going to do in 2023 to expand that value that we're providing our agents, right? To grow that. So I think that's the fundamental shift, but they're not the same thing at all. Um, and I think it comes down again to your goals. If your goal is to build a good, strong, profitable portfolio for yourself, hire an employee, two, three, four, whatever you need to help you manage your portfolio, to do your installs, to go to networking events for you, whatever it is, yeah. they're there to help you build your personal portfolio, your personal income. But then there's that shift, which is I'm going to help other people do this. I may make right. a percentage of that. Of course, that's part of the industry. But ultimately, my goal is for them to have success. If this person doesn't get to $10,000 a month by this time, I see that as a failure, right? Like my goal is for them to get there. I can't do the job for them, but I need right. to get give them the tools and the resources to get there. So that's yeah, yeah I love that. I, I think a couple of things I would add to is, in my opinion, you need to build the first model before you try to build the second one. Right. In yeah, other words, if you don't even know how to manage a team of employees to make yourself more productive, how could you possibly expect to help train someone else? And like you said, Dustin, what are you going to give them? Like if you're, if you have no support, if you have no tech support, if you have no administrative, I mean, let's face it, salespeople, we're not generally the best with the details. So, <laughs> right. We need to kind of surround ourselves with people that clean up our mess and, and help us. And so I think there's so many benefits Two two additional benefits I want to bring up to this model of, which I think, I think so many agents should be doing this and they're not this model of hiring people to make yourself kind of more productive. Two additional things. Number one, it gives you this accountability. I tell people in my company all the time, I'm very transparent. I, when I hire people that work with me personally, right? Like I have my direct mm -hmm. reports that run other businesses, but like when I hire an assistant or whatever, I tell them, look, like I'm hiring you because I'm hiring accountability. It's, you know, very similar to hiring a personal trainer, right? A lot of the time you're not getting a trainer because you don't know how to work out. That could be part of it, but it's because you need somebody to help yep. motivate you, hold you accountable for doing the workout to not, yep. you know, sit on the couch that extra hour. So accountability is huge. Um, I will mention, you know, one, one thing you had said is, you know, you think that some, you know, people need to have their own employees to help them build their, you know, their own personal portfolio before starting to bring on agents or try to build their right. ISO. And I actually, I, I will say, I, I disagree a hair on that with you. So I think <laughs> this is hair. something that I've been very focused on on my end, which is I think most of the processors in this industry could be better is that they don't give their agents the platform to mm. do that without having to build their own organization. Yeah. Good point. So Good one point. of the things we've been very focused on at Paybright personally, um, not trying to put a plug in, honestly, is that we've tried to build, and I know other companies have done this too, or are trying to, a structure, an entire platform, which is almost an ISO program for agents ready to go, that everything right. is there for them and they can build off of it. 
And so I do think that that's something that started to come out in the industry in the last 18 months or so. You're seeing not all companies do it, but more companies offer that now where an agent can go with us from being an agent to their own small ISO without having to do a whole lot. Mm, the tech right. support, the customer service, all of that's there for them. But yeah. so is the accounting and the commission side and the legal and all of that too. Right. So they don't have to worry about how am I going to pay these agents? How am I going to 1099 them? How am I going to get them a, an agreement? All of that's yeah. there for them. It's, it's like a complete platform is what you're yeah. giving them. Yeah, and I, I think we I think we're on the same page there because to me the the real test is you need to know how to make yourself super productive before you can help somebody else be super productive. Now, when I was coming up the industry, of course, what you're describing didn't exist, right? Neither did it when you were coming up. So for me, bringing the employees around, I still think having that assistant, you know, somebody local that's kind of, or, 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 you know, remote, but having somebody that's your personal, like manager of your time is fantastic. But I think once you know how to make yourself productive, right, then you can, you can duplicate that. Um, Okay. So good. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll tell you something that I think would blow most people's mind. Um, I got personally paid right with just me. I had no employees at the time with our agents to over 150 deals a month before I hired a single employee. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Consistently. That was month over month. That's um, crazy. That but is crazy. I was <laughs> working 16 hour days. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm sure. 50 calls a day. I didn't take a vacation or time off for, you know, probably close to two and a half, three years. Um, right. And it was a lot. Um, but the question I ask myself every day is what I have been doing 400 at the time had I had a couple people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the part that, that I have to recognize is we would have been bigger. And that's a hard one when you, when you're so good at what you're doing, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to accept the fact that, Hey, I could actually be doing better if I had some help because the idea of having help when you're really good at what you're doing is sort of, you know, anathema. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think too, to I, th- I think too, a lot of the experienced agents, they get this kind of negative feedback when they start on that path because they hire their first person and they become massively less productive for like a month mm-hmm. because they're not good at managing people. They're not good at delegating and they're, and they don't have any processes. It's like, they know what they do every day, but they don't, they've never thought about it from the perspective of a manager. So they don't have it. Like they're not an operator yet. So I think there's a learning curve. All right. Let, there's I wanna... also people I think in this industry who have been managers, right? Right. They don't like it. They want to go out and do something on their own. They start right. to get successful. They're like, oh, I'll go get more people. I've had experience managing, forgetting that they really didn't like being a manager. Right. right? They, they, like the lone, <laughs> they like the lone wolf. They don't want anybody, you know, right. yeah. and it becomes to a grind. report to. Right. So, okay. So a couple other quicker questions here. I just want to run through. So let's, so we've talked kind of, I, I, you know, we could kind of summarize everything we've said so far as starting your own ISO is a pretty big decision that you really <laughs> want to think carefully about and you may not want to do, but right. don't take it do lightly. Let's do a couple rapid fire questions here uh, for that person says, okay, I hear you, Dustin. I hear you, James. I hear you, Patty. I still want to do it. I want to start my yep. own deal. Right? So number one, top of your list, maybe there's one or two things that come to mind. Would you have done anything differently? You already mentioned maybe hiring people sooner. Anything else you would have done differently at the beginning? Yeah. So we had a, pivot um, fairly early on, but about a year really in, which was when we first started, we did what a lot of people were doing or a lot of people are doing. And we tried to target new people to the industry, green agents. Mm. And that works. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, there are companies in our industry that that is their sole focus. Right. Um, I really found that our sweet spot was working with already experienced agents, people who are already in merchant services that we could help produce more. Yes. And so that was our value proposition. And so we had to identify what that was. 
And for us, our entire approach to the industry is I believe most agents in merchant services lose between 20 and 40% of their viable sales opportunities every single month. So if they have 10 opportunities in front of them and they sign you know, a handful, I believe they could be signing 20 to 40% more of those opportunities than they are. And so our program is to help get those agents those extra deals. That's yeah. our value prop. And we can talk through, literally sometimes we say to new agents, when you have a deal that's tough, you can't sign it, call us. If we can get you to sign two out of those four calls, two out of those five calls, we just did something really big for you. And that's a lot of, unfortunately, some of the first deals we get from agents are the really tough ones, right? Right. But they're the fun ones. So I think you have to determine what, you know, kind of that approach is. So for us, it was a value prop and, and it was the wrong value prop early on. Yeah. Got it. So yeah, figuring out what your value proposition is going to be, who you're targeting, uh, going back to the very beginning of the interview, right? Staying focused, uh, figuring out what you're going to focus on. Um, outside capital. So I could be wrong about this. I don't I don't think you're a big believer in this, but I'm kind of curious your thoughts. So in our industry, we've got private equity, we've got investors, we've got, you know, the the larger upstream processor that wants to buy part of your business or make investments. You know, good, bad, pros, cons. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of raising capital unless there's a real reason to do it. I think it kind of goes back to what I said before is I'd rather have cash flow that supports my costs before, right. you know, going in the red. Again, if you're a tech company and you need to hire a bunch of developers, that's a different story. But for the most part, merchant services is really driven by sales organizations, not tech. There are some exceptions, right? If you're going to go out and build the next big kind of POS company to compete with Toast, you're going to need some cash and a lot of it. Right. And that's a different story. But probably the majority of your listeners are sales organizations and salespeople. Right. It, I don't think you need a ton of cash to do that. You give up a lot. And more importantly, you give up control. And I think what you see is that a lot of these organizations, when they start raising money, they start bleeding value because now they're having to do things like rate increases, change their contract terms. They pull off some of their value props that they offer because the you know private equity money or whoever's behind them doesn't understand that there's inherent value sometimes outside of just you know the dollars and cents. Um, so you know, I've never raised money here. We have sold zero, you know, accounts in our lifetime here. Um, we're a big believer in cash flow, staying in the black month over month and using that to fuel growth. And I think it's a huge thing for us because we, you know, ultimately don't report to anyone, which is a big advantage. So, so really what you're saying is that you're much more of a proponent of um, organic growth. I am. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's like the, that's your sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, I think there's value to being able to, you know, as a as an agent, for example, being able to pick up the phone and truly talk to the person making the decisions, mm -hmm. as opposed to talking to somebody who represents a board or represents a, you know, a group that makes the decisions. Um, it, it's just, you know, the way you're going to be seen is very different when that company starts raising money. And unfortunately, you never know really what companies have or haven't raised money and how. I mean, that's sometimes not something you'll be able to find out, but you can kind of tell from their decisions um, or press releases. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm not a huge yeah. fan of that model for a sales organization. Again, different story if you're trying to build technology, because mm -hmm. you probably can't do that with, right. with, with you know, your, hefty balance sheet. Yeah. Well, and, well, and I'll tell you what, you know, I had a, I just thought of this. I had a really interesting conversation with one of the most well-known investors in the industry. Uh, like a month ago, I was at a conference talking to, we ended up sitting together at a table. And um, I think when I was talking to him, I think he's put, um, he said he's put half a billion dollars into ISOs at this point, you know? And um, what we were talking about is it is interesting because ultimately it's a question of your objectives and your version of success, right? Because, you know, the first step is kind of figuring, okay, do you even want to build a company? Then the next question is, how fast does it really need to grow? 
And there's not necessarily a right answer there. The the only the only issue is what's your level of competence and how much are you willing to trade off and sacrifice to get where you're trying to go? And so you'll have these people that'll say, well, I'm trying to build to, you know, I want to do 500 deals a month within 24 months or something. And, and you know, and you've got this background and, you know, well, yeah, you're going to need, you know, you got to ask the money to do that. Right. But yeah. I think the real question doesn't, or, or what I, the observation would be for most of my listeners, the, especially the smaller agent, smaller ISO looking to grow, Frankly, there's really not a lot of rationale. I mean, there's maybe pure ego or something as to like why you would need to grow that fast. Now, again, for some people, it really is. It's like, if I'm not building this massive thing, then I'm just not having any fun. Well, then you got to go get money and you're kind of a little bit of a slave to the money and that's the trade-off and you accept that. But I think I, I wanted to interview you today because what your your path doesn't get talked about that much. And it's like so totally viable. And that's what I've done in my business. I mean, right. I, we just hired, uh, this year we have budget to hire two more senior developers on our team. I'm not taking on any investors to do that. It's taken me, you know, 14 years, but we have plenty of cash flow to hire lots of developers. I have three different tech companies. I don't have any investors. And so, you know, I have total freedom. I own my business. I do whatever I want. I <laughs> consult with a lot of companies that have investors in private equity, and that's fantastic. But I think it's like they need to look at both options, right, Dustin, and kind of see the clear that there is a difference and there's a choice to be made. And there's also a yeah. lot of history, I think, of people who have built their businesses the way you have. Uh, Dustin, you know, especially early on um, in this yeah. business. And I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, I used to joke, you know, um, this business has created a lot of billionaires and a lot of those billionaires started out just yeah. like you, you know, uh, yeah. here's a perfect, you know, in college and then they got out of college and they started building their business and they haven't had to take a, you know, they took very little, if any money from outside and they became very profitable. It's a great industry, right? I think that uh, that is something that is is well known at this point. Um, you know, I'd say I'm fortunate, you know, that I stumbled upon it when I did. But yeah, the the outside money thing, right? I'm a believer that part of a competitive advantage for companies in this space is, you know, are they nimble? How quickly can they right. make decisions move? Right. Um, you know, I had a sales partner approach us um, a while back about a very strong opportunity, but there needed to be some customization in some areas on this deal, but it was a very strong opportunity. And they had a relationship with one of the big companies that, you know, a lot of agents probably utilize, uh, you know, I won't use names, but one of the bigger agent kind of homes. And just because of the way the organization was structured, besides the fact that they couldn't really get a real conversation, they basically got told at the end, you know, a company our size just can't do this. There's, there's no way we can put cash here. There's no way to make this work on the books. And it was a very, um, you know, kind of proper response, but not what I'd say a truly thought out one. And those types of things drive me nuts. And I, I think that's one of the main reasons why, you know, for me, I'm not, you know, why we haven't, why we're not looking to go in that direction, because I like to be able to win those opportunities, not because of that one opportunity. I think what that company would say is we have so many opportunities, we can afford to lose one. There's probably some truth to that. But for me, it's, you're not losing that one, you're losing that agent you're losing all of the future agents right. and all of those right. future deals. And they, they look at it so, you know, kind of like mac micro instead of macro. I, I want to look at what the whole value is of being quick, being able to move quickly, get things done. There's this whole inherent value that gets undermined sometimes there. So yeah. that's just my take on it. I, I like being able to get things done for people when it just makes sense. Yeah. And, and there's def definitely something to on the personal side to just kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm here at the office today because I want to be nobody's yep. forcing me to be here. I can do whatever I want to do. I own the company. Right. So I think there's, I think there's something to be said for the the mindset of that. And I also think too, 
and I know this from experience, I actually started two ISOs. One of them I did start with outside money. And one thing I learned is personal confession, you know, um, you think a little differently about somebody else's money. At least yeah. I do. True. You know, it's like, I have a blank check here. You know, literally, it's yeah. like, they, you know, it's like, they they were like, basically, hey, we love what you're doing. We know you're going to build a huge ISO, whatever you need. And it was like, well, this is great. I can, you know, I can get whatever capital I want. Hey, let's have a like, big party. Like, well, yep. wait a second, but it actually does cost you money. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, in this case, it was a line of credit. So it was like against residuals, but like I had to pay that back eventually, you know? What I mean? So it's like, but now when it's my own money and, you know, as I start businesses today, it's kind of like, you know, I'm okay. Wait a second here. Like, do I want to yeah. like give up this money? That's my money to, you know, so I think there's some psychological. Way more disciplined. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Last question real quick for the larger ISOs out there, organizations, your size and, and, you know, in larger, um, what are you thinking about for 2023? Totally kind of off topic here, but just strategically, I mean, what scares you, what excites you? What, what's the one or two things that are on your mind? Yeah. So, you know, I am actively, I won't give up too many secrets right now, but I, <laughs> sure. I'm personally actively looking at this one question of how do we help our sales partners be more successful every day? Um, that is the question I'm always tackling. And I, I think it's honestly a question a lot of our competitors are moving away from. Yeah. I think a lot of them are moving towards like, what's your schedule? What's your rev share? What's your profitability? And not how do we just help you be more successful, or or um, or how can we move away from the agent model altogether, or or how, yeah. can we, how can we how can we milk the agent model to facilitate our shift to ISB integration? I think that's w, that's the question a lot of companies are asking. Or W twos. Um, yeah. I if I'm an truthfully if I'm an agent that works with a company that I start seeing move in the W two model, I'd be terrified. But if if I'm an agent for a company that is clearly putting a lot of their energy and resources in the W two model, I'm really worried because. What that tells me is that they have a model that is going to mean more than me. At least I think that's the case. And I think the the, the data has proven that, right? right. Um, you know, how many agents at central payments were told basically you could become a Heartland agent or not, W-2. Um, and so if I'm an agent at a company that's moving in those directions, I'm very scared. Paybright, like I've said this once, I'll say it again, we are committed to the 1099 agent model. Maybe that will be a, an issue for us one day. I don't believe it will. I believe that's the future still. And that is what we're committed to. We have no direct sales. We're not moving towards you know W-2 employees for sales to compete with our agents. They're our focus. So all of our energy, all of our resources, all of our time goes into that. And so in order for me to grow my business, I have to have them grow their business. Right. It's just that simple. I can't grow my business without them. And so every day, the question is, how do we do that? So we're doing some really cool things right now. Um, we have, you know, one project I'm really excited about sort of in what we call a beta test. Um, we're, we're, I, I won't go into too many details, but really with like strate strategic partnerships. So we're, we're working on ways to get our agents in the field tuned in with banks and all sorts of things like that. And banks aren't the only example, but tons of yeah. different people strategically where the agent doesn't have to do much. They just have to, you know, kind of be the relationship for the bank to send them the leads. But our competitors aren't doing that. They're they're you know keeping these leads in house if creating those relationships at all. Right. Um, so I'm looking at it from that angle. What can we do in 2023 to help our sales partners grow their own portfolios and their own businesses? So you know Love we're it. investing in portfolios. We're doing all the things other people are doing as well. But there there are a few things that we're doing that I think yeah. are going to be a little unique here. And I love it. I think I think if we could take one word away from this whole interview, it would be focus. Yeah. Right. And so I have That's a lot of consulting clients down. that are Stay focused. I have a lot of consulting clients W two. And I tell them, if you're going to do that, then do that. Yep. Right. You're going to do 1099, do that. 
but I think it's when you try to do both, you know, I, that just does not, does not have a history of, uh, of great success. Okay. So real quick, before I let you go, tell us about Paybright. Uh, where do people need to go if they want to learn more? Maybe they listen to this and said, Hey, I'm that experienced agent. I want to talk to Dustin. I know you've been a mentor to so many in the industry already. Um, share your, uh, share your info of how they can reach out to learn more. Yeah. Easiest ways, either one would just be call in to our, you know, office right in there. There's an option for new prospective partners. Um, phone number for our office line is simply 984-272-2568. And it would be extension three for, you know, new prospective partners. Um, or of course you can always shoot us an email. Um, you can email that into just our support, you know, email. If you want to get a hold of me, just say, please send this to Dustin or attention, Dustin. Trust me, it gets to me. There's only one Dustin here. Um, but it's just support at gopaybright.com. Um, so again, support at gopaybright.com, but it's easy to get a hold of us. Go to our website. We pick up our phone, right? Like we we average like a 20 some odd second hold time during business hours for you know our agents. Like it's it's not hard to get a hold of us. You'll, awesome you'll get website through. is go gopaybright.com, correct? Gopaybright.com. That is right. Awesome. Dustin, as always, such a pleasure. Thank you for taking time to share your insights. I'm sure our audience is gonna get a lot of uh, a lot of good value out of this one. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Dustin. Everybody got another episode brought to you here by ISOAMP. Okay. And today I want to talk to you about interchange optimization and padding. Interchange optimization and padding. This is one of those areas that is so complex that it took us a long time to build out the software and the processes to do it right. And it's still something that a lot of times our human experts will get involved. So our system is really good at pulling all the data from a statement, especially the interchange table and categorizing it. But you know what? There are simply times where you'll have one processing company that'll use a weird name for an interchange category, or they'll actually make a mistake. You wouldn't believe how many mistakes we see on statements. Okay. Well, what happens in those cases is it gets flagged and goes to our full-time W-2 employees who are statement analyst experts who work actually right here uh, in Holidaysburg, Altoona area where we are located here uh, at our main office. And so they work right here in the area. They've all been trained by myself and our other experts at ISOAMP. So they help with all of that. But the end result is we can provide you with a detailed side-by-side list of every interchange category and the optimization savings for that particular category even better, we could customize the optimization mapping itself. So depending on which gateway you're using for optimization, or if you're going level three on some transactions versus level two, we can fully customize that mapping to meet your needs. Then you take that information. You don't have to do any work at all. It's just there when you get the proposal back and you can actually go into the pricing template and say, yes or no, I want to show optimization when they're doing this pricing, right? Maybe you're doing flat rate pricing. You don't want to show optimization savings, right? So you say, I don't want to show that, right? So you can choose on a per program basis what you want to show with optimization, how much of it you want to promise the merchant. Maybe you say, well, I only want to show them 80% of of the projected savings to be safe. You can do that. Well, whatever you do, it's all going to show up line by line on the proposal template. And we have special custom proposal templates. We have Excel and we have PDF versions that show the optimization line by line. If you want to learn more about that, just head over to getisoamp.com. It's G-E-T-I-S-O-A-M-P.com. G-E-T-I-S-O-A-M-P.com. And learn more about ISOAMP. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training 
to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today, questions from the field, I feel like I already got most of the content that I wanted in the interview with Dustin because so much of that I wanted to talk about. Right, right. I just want to bring one thing to the bottom shelf for our listeners right now really quick, and that is, are you focused in 2023? You're listening to this. The year's already underway. What is your focus? And by that, I mean, you know, maybe you want to, after I say this, maybe you want to pause the podcast and ask yourself these questions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who am I focused on targeting in 2023? Are you going out if you're an ISO? What type of agent are you going after? If you're an if you're an agent, well, what type of merchant are you going after? Um, what's your marketing strategy? What's your prospecting strategy? Are these things really well defined? You know what you're trying to become the best at, right? And are you going to be able? Is this a mission that you're going to be able to stay focused on for three, five, ten years? When I set a mission, I think about a decade. So right. I decided about six years ago that our mission was going to be making merchant sales competitive by partnering with companies I trust. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the mission of CC sales pro. And right. the idea there was, I saw that there's a lot of changes in the industry that were having an impact on the agents, making them less competitive in the market. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, let's make them competitive. And so that's a mission that we've been, we've had for six years. You got to jump in and say, what am I going to, what's a, what's a mission I can be passionate about and, and then jump in. And right. I, and I want to say, the fact that you've done something else successfully, you say, well, I, I built a successful insurance agency. Great. That means you know how to train people on how to do an insurance agency. But you don't know how to train them on credit cards. No. You got to go sell payment processing, become successful at it. Then and only then you can scale that up and scale that experience that you have and translate that to other people. And it takes time to get that experience. It does. Yeah. Thanks, James. Good stuff. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So, you know, James, last week I reported on an advertising campaign um, about the potential repercussions of Senator Durbin's proposal um, to regulate credit card routing. Yep. Um, You may recall the commercials take place in this fictional town called Point Less, Kansas, which I love. Yes. Yeah, where businesses and individuals, their livelihoods have been, you know, impacted negatively because they lost rewards points. Right. So this week, I want to discuss a uh, talk about a discussion paper the Electronic Payments Coalition just published. Um, Electronic Payments Coalition, also known as EPC, is a DC-based lobbying group okay. that represents financial institutions as well as the card brands. Hmm. And the paper takes issue with what retailing lobbyists argue um, in terms of interchange fees, that they're the uh, one of the highest cost-facing small businesses. And they say, you know, in reality, merchant discount fees, which of course include interchange, pale in comparison to other costs. And they, and they, they pull up a few examples that I thought were really interesting. Um, they talk about restaurants. And, you know, the fact that restaurants tend to have a higher share of card-based transactions than other small businesses. So, the interchange fees paid by them as a share of their total costs, you know, gives us a good idea. 
Right. It's a it's a it's a high example. Right. It's a high example, but it's a you know it's right. it's a relative example. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people, you know, that we that listen to this that sell the restaurant. So let's right. take a look at this. So the report uses the Fed, uh, Fed Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta data, which you know they uh, do a lot of work in the payment space, as well as Nielsen report. So um, they found that, um, and you know, and they 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 basically you know looked at all the fees paid, all the you know costs, right, and they came up with the average. Uh, weighted merchant discount was 2.17 for credit cards. Okay. And 0.71 for debit cards. That's the effective, that's the effective rate cost effective of payment rate. processing. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, now the, they noted that the average restaurant profit margin is reported to be three to 5%. Right. So that suggests that costs are 95 to 97%. Right. So if you, you know labor costs, food costs, right, right. You look at all you look at yeah. all those costs, you know, rent and utilities, you know, that's like 10 to 20%. Labor is usually 7 to 50%. Cost of goods, of course, that's pretty high in restaurants because they're right. buying food. Yep. That's like 30 to 70%. Advertising, you know, those food delivery apps, right. maintenance, that's another 3%. Well, credit card fees are 1.2. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's like not if, you, the if you're trying to make cost. if you're trying to make legislation to really ease the burden of cost on these particular business owners, looking at the payment processing fees is not really it's the best. It's not going to do it's not going to do it, you know. Right. Uh they're not only minimal um but you know, it it's really a myopic focus as the EPC puts it. Um uh it, because it ignores the reality, of course, that accepting card payments has a lot of benefits as well. Yeah. Right. If you didn't right. accept card payments, you're not going to be taking in all this money. Well, well, and you know the the other side of it, even on the issuing side, the other question would be, how much money is that business making by using their cash back card when right. they buy these different things? Which that would go away if the interchange got slashed. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, and um, I also you know think that we have to talk about you know the idea of you know payments are guaranteed and prompt. Right. Yep. The cost of carrying cash just. Go go and ask a cannabis dispensary about the cost of carrying cash. Yep. You know, um, and um, you know, I think it also, you know, the retailers would not have been able to go on, um, you know, especially restaurants would not have been able to leverage the internet. Yeah. If it right. weren't for this, so yeah. I just think this is really good ammunition. I encourage people to visit the um, EPC website, get some of this data for themselves. But I think these are some really, you know, high points that we really ought to consider as we go into 2023 right. and anticipate more efforts to, you know, look at regulating. Yeah, good stuff. Awesome. Well, Patty, uh, thank you so much for the insights as always. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.